every day across the world, people wake up and trudge to work. They resentfully work at companies that fall short of their promises and values. This is a problem Brad Fetterman has dedicated his entire career to resolving. He helps companies engage employees and customers and build resilient relationships. He can show you how to create collaborative and agile cultures. Hey, it's Dustin Burleson. Welcome to this episode of The Burleson Box. Today, I'm speaking with Brad Fetterman about his latest book, Cultivating Culture, 101 Ways to Foster Engagement in 15 Minutes or Less. Brad is the founder of Performance Point, where he works at companies like Nordstrom, FedEx, Hilton Hotels, Mayo Clinic, Deloitte, and Polo Ralph Lauren. Brad served as an executive vice president of Novations Group and served in leadership roles at Accenture Health and Humana. He's frequently interviewed on Fox Business News, American Banker, Fortune Small Business, The Los Angeles Times, HR Magazine. He serves on the Forbes Coaches Council and several nonprofit organizations. I'm so excited to share Brad's interview with you on practical things you and your team can do to establish and live out your core values. Let's dig in on another episode of the Burleson Box. Dr. Burleson here. Many of my most successful clients find themselves looking for a way to preserve and grow their wealth without the uncertainty and volatility of Wall Street. There is another way. My good friend and colleague, Dr. David Phelps, helps practice professionals translate their high income into high net worth. He does this by connecting members with highly curated passive real estate deals through his Freedom Founders community. Real estate can hedge your portfolio against inflation, all while providing passive monthly income. This secures your wealth and creates meaningful freedom in your life today, not some vague retirement date in the distant future. Some of my top clients have benefited from David's support and the Freedom Founders community. David has put together some special resources for my listeners. To access, just text Dustin to 972-203-6960. Or go to freedomfounders.com forward slash Burleson. Today, we're so excited to have Brad Fetterman on the program. Brad has written a new book called Cultivating Culture, 101 Ways to Foster Engagement in 15 Minutes or Less. Brad, thank you for coming on the program. My pleasure. I'm excited. I, uh, we were talking offline, I squealed with delight. I don't, I don't squeal very often, but I literally took the copy of the book and showed it to my fiance and said, oh my gosh, this is like stuff we can go do tomorrow with our employees to help build culture and reinstill values. So congrats on just a phenomenal book. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We wanted something practical, not esoteric, something people could just use almost like a toolkit or a guidebook. I think you could add a couple zeros to the price of the book and smart people would still pay. <laughs> still pay <for> <laughs> uh, I want to I talk about core values and culture and you hit something like a just nail on the head that we see and that a lot of our members, a lot of the listeners, if we go on site and help them mm-hmm. with the management of their practices, they have their core values bolted on the wall in these beautiful frames. <laughs> but, but if you ask any employees what those are, or if you observe, you, you aren't seeing those lived out. Can you talk about that challenge and why core values are so important and how they build culture? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think the the values being put on the wall on a website and immortalized, if you will, it's all built on work that was done decades ago. And, and it was treated almost like a top-down Um, effort that was an event. And I believe that culture is a living, breathing thing, and it must be continuously cared for if you want to preserve and maintain it. And so it's got to be something that we revisit on a regular basis. It's also um, something that's shared. You know, if you really look at our workplace these days, whether we're small offices or large companies, we've got more diversity represented than we've ever had. And so when I say something, it doesn't necessarily mean that a coworker, colleague, an employee hears the same thing that I mean. And so we have to actually develop a two-way dialogue 
where we begin to share what those values are in a way that everybody can digest them, utilize them, understand them, and act on them. And so, you know, I think that the the set it and forget it mentality around values doesn't work. Um, they have to be something we explore on a regular basis. I actually talk about weaving it into the fabric of the way you work. I want to get into some examples of, of how you can do that as a listener because the book truly, you should like, it needs to come in like pocket size. So we can all carry them around with us and have them at every team <laughs> meeting. Um, I, I, I found this fascinating. I was talking to a friend. He's the chief operating officer for a really fast growing multi-specialty kind of chain of clinics mm-hmm. in the Southeast. They've got about 170 employees now. They've grown from two locations to 14 really quickly. And he talks a lot about culture and, and core values. And he said, you know, it's an interesting thing. At the time of their collapse, Enron had painted these values on the wall and they proudly displayed these values in their annual report. At the time of Enron's collapse, the values were, quote, integrity, <laughs> communication, right? In retrospect, like, oh, ouch, respect and excellence. And so I just want to hammer home the point that if you think core values, to Brad's point, is a top-down exercise where you bolt these things to the wall or you put them on your website, uh, kind of missing the point, right? Absolutely, 100%. In fact, you know, one of the things that I say is that culture is really defined by the behaviors you're willing to accept and not by the ones that you espouse. And so when we think about this, in many cases, we will, we will actually expect a lot of great things from people will have values that are not just spouse, but we expect it from 80% of our folks. But if we have somebody that has been with us for a long time, we might say, oh, that's just the way they are. Or if we have somebody that brings in more revenue than everyone else, then we might say, well, you know, look, for as much as they do for us, we got to give them a little room. And those moments, those moments when you're tested, they tell you what your culture really is. They tell you what your values really are. And so it really has nothing to do with what you do on 363 days of the, of the year. It has to do with what you do on those couple of days when you are tested. How do you behave when you're stressed? How do you behave when business isn't going as well as you'd like? Those are the moments that tell you what your culture is really like. Yeah, I want to kind of zoom out for the listeners who might not be familiar with your work because this isn't just your opinion. You've been doing this for the better part of two and a half decades, you work with some really smart companies like Nordstrom, FedEx, Hilton, and Mayo Clinic, and a yep. host of others. So these are things you've actually put into practice, right? Absolutely. And not only have we put them in practice, we've measured success rates. We've seen 17% increase in customer um, problem solving, um, where customers feel positive about the, the, the way problems were dealt with. We've seen increase in service scores. We've seen increase in revenue. We've seen increase in engagement scores. So yes, not only are, have we been doing this for years, have I been doing this for over two decades, but we actually have seen amazing things happen when people put what's in this book into practice, which is why we wrote the book. I mean, it was important for me to get this out. We have over 500 different activities, discussions, conversations that we, we have, and we we called it down to 101 um, of the best that we thought were relevant to most organizations and, and made it available for, for people to use. Um, because this $20 investment is a lot less expensive than bringing me in. And, <laughs> and I can tell you one thing, it will make a big difference in your business. Okay. <laughs> I want to dive deeper on engagement. All of the things you mentioned from problem solving to lifetime customer value and all of the metrics you mentioned are important, but particularly right now at the time of this recording, mm-hmm. because we're in such a challenging hiring environment. I think I saw statistics again today, lowest unemployment claims like in a long, long time, high wages. It's a really challenging time to hire people, but these tools can actually help you foster employee engagement. Can we talk about that a little bit more? Absolutely. Tell me yeah. what happens when it, when it, when it, a new employee shows up at a company where there is no culture or there aren't any core values. Or, I mean, they're only, we say there are, it's like, it's the, it's the behaviors, as you mentioned, you're willing to tolerate, but they haven't taken the time to address it versus how you teach. We should be doing this in the book. You know, 
What's that look like for employees and reducing turnover and perhaps allowing employees to feel like they're a part of something bigger than just themselves? Sure. It's, it's, it's absolutely a huge differential. I mean, I'll give you a great example, a couple of great examples. Columbia University did a wonderful study, and they found that organizations that had a strong company culture, one that was revisited, worked on consistently, like what we're talking about today, had about 13.9% of people that were likely to leave their job. But organizations that had a lower weak company culture, one that wasn't cared for as the way we discussed, have a 48.4% chance of turnover with their with their folks. Wow. Um, yeah, there's another study that came out, which was amazing. It says that uh, uh, 25% of people, less than 25% of people who work um, in our organizations um, feel like the company even cares about them or their well-being, which is really a sign of a, of a weak or terrible culture. And what's amazing is the ones that did, so you had less than 25% feel like an organization cares about them and their well-being. But for those people that felt like the organization did, they were 69% less likely to actively search for a new job. And they were 71% less likely to report that they are experiencing burnout. I mean, the numbers are staggering. It makes a huge difference in terms of your retention, um, and the ability to keep people. But here's what's amazing. Those same people that are staying become advocates for your organization. They are your PR for your organization. So here's what's neat. You not only keep the people you have, but the people that you have begin to create an employer of choice mentality in the community that you're in. And people start to flock to you and want to work with you because or for you because you've got such a great culture. So it distinguishes you not such not just internally, but if it's an inside out job, you work on yourself internally, it ends up helping you outside your organizational walls. I love that. And as I read through the book, I mean it became clear to me that for example, a lot of clients will say, "Well, I'm just not that charismatic. I don't like to lead, you know, team meetings. I kind of like to be quiet." Anyone can do this is what I took away from the book as I read through these examples and exercises is really about communicating who we are and what we do around here and why it matters. So with your permission, can we can we talk about some of the examples? I love I love this one about uh, familiarity doesn't always mean competency. So just talking about and I believe in the section probably on communication or on problem solving, perhaps mm-hmm. um, you shared an exercise about how many pennies the average person comes into contact with throughout their life. And I love this. You said in the book, I didn't quote, I jotted it down in the back of this paper. Uh, In the average person's life, people will come across like 30,000 pennies in their pocket or purse. And so they're obviously familiar with pennies. But when you ask someone to draw what a penny looks like on both sides, uh, I I, I can tell you right now, I could not do that. I I would get Abraham Lincoln, I think, and I'm on the back. I'm not sure what's on the back. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I've come across 30,000 pennies. Uh, And the lesson is how we can be so familiar with something but not know the details. And I just love that. It's a simple maybe. uh, Oh, by the way, if you're just joining us and you haven't read the book yet, these are all like 10, 15 minutes, right? These are not like multi-day sessions of, you know, team engagement. This is like something you can do with your team or in team lead groups in 10 or 15 minutes, right? These are pretty, pretty powerful. And they're built that way for, for that purpose. You know, we live in a fast paced world where people don't have as much time to set aside. So we needed to create opportunities for leaders and teams to be able to explore values, culture, in, um, and build trust and, and engagement in short bursts. And so it is built that way. And, and I love that activity. It's a fun activity that you mentioned um, doing, and you're right. Anyone can do it in my group, we alternate. We have different people that take different, different, we meet each week. Um, Some people meet each day. Um, Some companies, they do that. Some people meet once a month, but we meet each week and each week, somebody else takes the responsibility to lead a conversation and we pull from our own stuff. So um, over here, we're trying to make sure the cobbler's children have shoes is what we're, we're trying to do in our our organization, make sure we, we, we eat what we cook. How's that? <laughs> I love it. I, you know, and I, I, again, as I read through, it's, it's clear to me, this is about becoming a better communicator and you break it down in 10 to 15 minutes, sometimes five, 10 minute exercises you can do with the team on, you know, what are we trying to communicate? Because it's so easy as particularly as a small business owner, a lot of the people listening to this are doctors and dentists. 
and they kind of have this perfectionistic mindset, dental or medical school turned them into these kind of like lifelong students who had to get straight A's in order to become what they are and to get a license. And then they get into the business world and realize that their employees can't read their minds. <laughs> so <laughs> the communication aspect I love for, you know, example, a client will say to me, you know, I just, I just want to get everyone on the same page. And I'll say, great, like define that page. What, you know, what are we trying to communicate? And this book does it. You break it down into a handful of sections. I love the section on problem solving. I love the section on inclusion. They're all really, really good. Thanks. But um, I guess where, other than just reading through the book, what's your advice for someone who says, okay, I get it. This stuff can help me communicate to my team where we're headed. Uh, you know, where should they start? Or what have you seen that's worked really well or what doesn't work well? I, I one of the things you said when you first started was, you know, they may feel reluctant because they don't like to speak in front of groups. These conversations are not built for you to give a lecture. They're built for you to ask questions and get your people talking with you. So you create a shared understanding. Now, there are key points and there's steps in there that you can follow. You don't even have to work hard to prepare because we've done the preparation for you. This is like a recipe book. We're teaching you how to cook uh, uh, meals, basically, but around people. And, and, and so we've done it in a way that's easy, and you don't have to be an extroverted public speaker to pull these off. You can be the average person. It really is not that hard. So the first thing is get your mindset right and realize it's not about you. It's about the team. That's the first thing. This, the one I, I mean, I, I like... I like personally putting together a schedule, and that's what I would do, is I would create a cadence. Um, these are 10, 15-minute kinds of you know, discussions or activities. I'd put a cadence and say, I'm going to do one of these every week or one of these every month, and then build a structure uh, of, uh, around that by you know, looking at what are your needs in your organization and, and where should you start. Now, you know, I started with leading intentionally in the book purposely because I felt like that was a great stage setter, right? Let's talk about what we, what we really want moving forward in an intentional manner. And then I moved to purpose. You know, once we've done that, let's talk a little bit about purpose, right? And so, you know, we, we have it built in a certain kind of a recipe for you in the book based on what we thought 80% of the people would need. But just because we put it in that order doesn't mean you have to use it in that order. I would say, what, is, what, what does my organization need now? What does my team need right now? And then look at the section and pull out what makes most sense to you and, and use that. The idea that you create a two-way conversation is so powerful. Uh, can I give you an example? Absolutely. Okay, yes. so um, it's, it's not going to fit the... A lot of the, the places that, you know, we're talking about here in your in your podcast, but I think it still fits and you can draw the analogy over. I was working with a very um, uh, a, a plant, basically. They made things and what they made was uh, was important, but it was also that safety was important. Having a safe environment was key. And so I watched them do their meetings and every day for every shift, they would have these meetings and they would drill home Safety, safety, safety. Always about numbers, rules, regulations. It, it was boring. It felt like you're being talked down to. Uh, and people just sat there passively and listened and, quite frankly, digested a minuscule amount of what was discussed. And so I said, okay, I heard what you had to say. I'm going to give you three examples of what you should do instead of what you're doing. And I actually wrote uh, safety uh, activities, discussions that fit uh, their environment based on what they were trying to get across. And I had them try them out and it was amazing. So one of the first ones we did was uh, we actually asked people to, to think about safety from a different perspective and angle. And, uh, and, and so we had them, we said, close your eyes and we want you to imagine that someone you're close to here who works with you side by side every day, someone who's probably a friend gets hurt. Maybe they lose a finger or a hand. Maybe it's worse and they're going to the hospital. We don't even know if they're going to survive. How does it make you feel? And they talked about it. And then, and then we want you to go further in that imagination. Imagine you're the one that has to call their family and tell them they're not coming home. And all of a sudden you had this intense feeling and discussion about how nobody wants to see that happen. And they began to talk about 
their responsibility for each other and to watch each other and make sure that no one's doing anything wrong, not because they were being drilled on it, but because they cared about each other and it all of a sudden slapped them in the face about how powerful that was, just because we asked them to imagine some things and asked them some questions. One small topic had much more impact than anything they had done in the months and years previous. That's so powerful. He turns it into a two-way conversation and got buy-in. And I, I joke with clients. I say, if I could transcribe most of your team meetings, they should just be issued as memos, right? Because it's just the doctor talking about <laughs> like the safety manager, right? Like, right. here's the stats. Here's what to do. Don't forget. Wear your safety goggles. Absolutely. And everyone's half asleep. And you, that's a, such a brilliant way to turn it into a two-way conversation. Uh, I know you've worked with Mayo Clinic. And I think it was from Mayo. It might have been from Johns Hopkins. Uh, we spoke about this with a client not that long ago that the average doctor, correct me if I got the wrong number. I think the average doctor, after allowing the patient to speak, <laughs> will interrupt the patient like 16 seconds later or something ridiculously short. <laughs> and and that's what most of our team meetings are like, I think, you know, and then nothing actually gets communicated. It, uh, it's such a, it's such a, that's a great story. I yeah. appreciate you sharing that. Thanks. I know a lot of people who have, and there is a chapter, by the way, in the books, chapter seven on prioritizing safety. Mm -hmm. uh, in all our clinics, same thing. We're using dentists are using high rotor air compressed drills, you know, run at 300,000 RPMs. Uh, our surgeons are using scalpels. Our ophthalmologists are using lasers on the eyeballs. <laughs> all are really pri prioritized safety kind of a group here. So I please, please, please encourage our members to go read chapter seven. And to create two-way dialogues with member with your team instead of just issuing top-down memos. Uh, I want to talk about the next chapter, serving your customer. You work with some really cool companies we mentioned earlier on customer service. Can, I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but I want to ask the expert, is there a direct link between culture and values and providing great service? Oh, yes, absolutely. There, there's a 100% link. You know, companies that have great cultures actually have about four times more revenue than their competitors. So All right, let's say that again. So if you got good culture, it's not just singing Kumbaya by the fire, but how much more revenue? <laughs> Four times increase in revenue growth than their competitors, right? That's yes. awesome. Yes. Yep. You know, there's so many things, um, you know, companies that have satisfied employees and strong cultures uh, have stronger profit. They And they, you know, the, the, it's just over and over again, the research keeps showing it. It's an inside out job. Your employees will not take care of your customers if they are not happy and clear and have a purpose themselves. I, I love some of the uh, exercises in, in chapter eight because they're, again, these are things that you do not need to be a motivational speaker or a podcast host or, or an international lecturer uh, like Brad is to, to implement these in your business. So can we talk about maybe some of your favorite? I know you, you work with, again, Nordstrom, kind of known for great customer service. Sure. Sure. FedEx, Hilton, Mayo Clinic, Deloitte, Ralph Lauren, all these companies are known for great customer service. Do you have some favorites that have come up over the years? Gosh, you know, one of my favorite, you mean in terms of companies? Uh, uh, that or with customer service where yeah. you've engaged the employees in kind of this two-way dialogue about service. Absolutely. Actually, um, we did we did some work with Homewood Suites by Hilton uh, back in the day prior to COVID because, you know, after COVID happened, things kind of changed for the hospitality world and they're getting back on their feet and I'm wishing all of them well. But we did some great work with, with um, Homewood Suites, actually, in, and, uh, and Embassy Suites, different work, but, but both very powerful. So with, uh, with Embassy Suites, we actually did something called Make a Difference. And it was about creating an, uh, a, a really strong culture around the concept of making a difference in guests' lives, in teammates' lives. And we really put some meat to it. And we did this incredible experience with um, housekeepers and front staff at a conference uh, and, and, and others uh, that came in from all over the country. And then we taught them how to bring that back to their hotels. And it spread like wildfire. Uh, it was fantastic. It was, an ex it was a wonderful experience. But the one that really stands out the most is Homewood Suites. We actually did um, some work with them around problem resolution as a part of their culture and, uh, and handling their customer um, 
situations with heart, essentially. And uh, it's an acronym that stands for something. But we did this really cool um, uh, effort with general managers and assistant managers on how to make it happen in their hotels. And it was it was kind of like a big conference where we did these kinds of activities with them and then taught them how to do them with their their employees in one month from the conference, one month from the conference, they already had a 17% increase in customer satisfaction with the way guest satisfaction, the way problems were solved. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, just amazing stuff. Absolutely amazing stuff. If you can get double digit anything in an organization that large over a year, you are hitting home runs yeah. and do it that fast in a month. Is yeah. uh, that's, that's awesome. Grand slam. Very yeah. cool. And that had direct uh, links to their customer loyalty numbers too. Exactly. Right. That's, yeah. I mean, this is, again, that's why I love this book. Uh, there's another example for customer service and exercise on page 197. I just lit up when I saw this because we spent a lot of time with our listeners and members here I'm really defining what makes them different. Like why, why would a customer choose you versus the competition or doing nothing, right? A lot of people listening to this sell elective services like Invisalign or dental veneers or cosmetic surgery. Absolutely not necessary. Unlike maybe a root canal or, or a trip to the emergency room, which you know are non-elective and urgent. Right. I, I want to kind of open this up to, to your expertise because we think about it, I think as a business owner, we, we, or maybe the marketing department, but how often do we actually sit down with the entire team or in organ or in each business function and talk about what differentiates us between the competition? And this is a great exercise. You know, have you seen some, I'm assuming you've seen similar results there. When an employee can actually tell a friend or a family member or a prospective new employee or a prospective new customer, what makes them different? That's kind of where the magic happens, right? Absolutely. And, and what's nice about this kind of discussion is it works both ways. So it not only works outside in terms of their ability to influence family members, friends, the community. Um, they become an advocate for your company. They become a brand ambassador, if you will. But it actually makes them have a sense of pride in their organization. You know, one of the saddest things I've ever experienced is walking into companies that are having problems and, and being asked to help solve it. And the first thing I do is I, I interview people, I, I watch, right? And so, you know, one of the questions I'll ask people on the front lines is, why do you work here? And, uh, and I say it that way too. I have a pause and I emphasize here because I, I want them to tell me why they work here. And I'm amazed at how many times people say a paycheck. All right. That doesn't tell you why they work here. It tells you why they work. And if you don't have anything that differentiates why they work here, they're going to leave for a nickel, a dime or a quarter and go somewhere else. And so when you do this work around differentiation, it creates a sense of a two way uh, a benefit. It's a, it's a twofer. It helps them demonstrate differentiation to the public, but it also makes them feel a sense of pride about why they work at that location, at that place. And that keeps them there longer. So you get benefits on both sides of that fence. I love that. Yeah, that's so, so powerful because I think I, I come from the marketing world. So I'm always, in, my radar is always kind of tuned into like external, but the internal components, that's so powerful. That's great. I want to talk about problem solving. I know most listeners tune into podcasts, not because they're bored and have nothing to do. I joke and say there's a million other things they can be watching on Netflix or right. time of this recording. There's some great sporting events going on. So, uh, you know, what do you say to someone who's listening going, you know what? Yeah, I've tried this before. I've tried to get the team engaged and it hasn't worked. There's actually some exercises, a whole section in the book on problem solving. I love to see this one on page 161. If you're following along in the book and listening, because it's one of our core values. We, we talk about what, what it takes to succeed in my business. And one of them is you have a can-do attitude. And so you've got a great 10-minute exercise. All you need is a flip chart or a whiteboard and some markers. And you can talk about how do we define ways to demonstrate a can-do attitude. Can you talk about maybe you've gone into businesses, I'm sure, where the team or maybe even the owner or the manager is reluctant. How do you kind of flip the switch and get them to see that it is possible? 
to, to have these conversations? Yeah, to actually get this, to get some traction. Because I feel like most business owners that are curious have tried a lot of different ways to get team engagement, get team buy-in. What do you say if you show up and there's a group that says, you know what, we tried this before, it really didn't work. Have you come across that maybe? I, or I have, I have. And, and, you know, my experience with that is it's typically because it's, handled poorly, right? Um, you, you have the intent of getting everybody involved, but you ask uh, leading questions, right? Or uh, you ask a question, someone gives you the answer, and the very first thing you do is you say, well, I don't know about that. And so, uh, you know, I think those are, are the, they, they cause it to die on the vine. The second thing is if you're not used to doing it, then it's kind of like coaxing people, right? You know, I want you to think about this. If you have a dog that has been abused and you adopt that dog just because you're nice to the dog doesn't mean the dog is going to come out of its shell and, and embrace you. They're scared. They've been through hell and back. Right. And so it takes a while for the dog to begin to trust you and know that you're going to treat that dog well. Right. And so it might take six months or a year, but you know, you look at pictures and experiences and videos of that dog when they were first brought to you and now, and it's like a different, completely different pet, right? And I think the same holds true for humans. I'm not comparing humans to dogs, but I think the psychology there still remains um, true. Employees that are not used to being asked their opinion, when they're asked their opinion, sometimes feel set up. They're wondering that if they put it out there, are they going to be in trouble? If they have been asked before and they've been dinged for it, then there, there are significant reservations for doing it. So you have to look at this as a process rather than an event. You have to look at this as I need to do this more than once. I need to do this multiple times. I need to do this several times before I start to get the kind of results that I want. But but I will coax them out and I will prove to them that I want to hear their voice, that I want to hear what they have to say, that I will listen, that I won't be defensive. And that I and because you're using a structure like this, you're not going to ask leading questions. You're going to ask open-ended questions that are going to drive conversation. And, and that alone will bring them out, right? So if I start a conversation and say, you know, do you feel like we could do a better job collaborating? Uh, then people are going to be quiet. They might <laughs> shake their head, right? But if I say, how can we collaborate better? That makes it more difficult for people to shy away from that conversation. So the book helps you make the right choices. Now you have to be able to say, I'm willing to commit enough time to this to begin to see the change. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. Are you trying to increase your treatment plan close rates while also increasing revenue? How can you do both for your dental practice without burning out an already burdened staff? The answer? Remote dental monitoring. You need a trusted HIPAA-compliant app that helps you and your staff work smarter, not harder. This needs to be an easy-to-use, easy-onboard app that your patients will find fun to use and will increase their engagement and success with aligners. You need the InHand Dental app. The InHand Dental app allows you to engage with your patients in real time, send individual and batched messages, and solve problems to increase compliance without using up chair time. The result? Happy patients, happy staff, and happy practices. With more revenue and the ability to do more starts. With prices starting as low as $149 a month, it's perfect for a growing aligner business. Check us out and learn more at InHandDental.com. Plus, mention Burleson for a 20% off discount on your subscription when you contact us. That's InHandDental.com. And now, back to the program. What would you say as a good place to start as far as getting on board with this process? I know you said you meet weekly. Our company does as well. Do you recommend sitting down with the, with the leadership team first and coming up with maybe a 90-day plan for what we're going to talk about each week and maybe walk us through that process or maybe an example, um, maybe with Homewood Suites or kind of how, how – I know you got great results quickly after it was implemented, but how much time did you spend – getting ready to launch that initiative. 
Oh, we, we did spend a lot of time getting ready to launch that initiative. And, and that was actually an additive initiative. We, we actually built with them something called, you know, obviously we try and, and do things for clients that, were, that, that they can relate to and are built around their language. So we, we actually built a customized uh, version of this, but it was much more intense and, 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 and bigger, meaning, you know, hotels meet every day, right? Yep. So, uh, so we actually did what we called a service suitcase. Cool. And that service suitcase, um, uh, suitcase travel, you get it, right? Service <laughs> suitcase had 365 of these. Oh, cool. And we actually put together a suggested schedule. And the reason we did that was back in the day when we did this, we wanted you to show up at a Homewood Suites in D.C., or in Idaho, or in California, or Texas. And we wanted you to have the same experience. We wanted you to have consistency. And so this bred a certain kind of culture. It bred a certain kind of service. It bred calls to action every single day, right? And if you did them in the same way, you know, on the same day, then wherever you went, you had a similar kind of experience. It, it caused um, that brand to have the best service scores in their industry um, for for their their market, right? Um, uh, than than any of their competitors. I That's mean, awesome. they, they won so many awards; it was amazing, uh, and it was all because of, of the work that we put into making that happen. So, yeah, I think you should take uh, um, some time as a as a leadership team. You should do some of these together with you. And then you should talk about how should we do this with our teams? How should we do this with the rest of the organization? And you should put a schedule together and, and really kind of be prepared because um, you want to make sure you don't have fits and starts. You want to make sure you have a plan and you really you put it forward. And then once you've done it for a little while, it's easy to turn it over and say, you know what? This is not a leadership responsibility. This is culture is everyone's responsibility. And we want to see everyone take a moment and lead it. And you can have team members run these. And what's amazing is they'll do a great job. They'll get creative. They'll tweak them. They'll change them. Um, they'll, they'll add their own flavor to it. And you'd be surprised at what they bring out of a conversation when you start getting them involved at that level. It's powerful. I really like that. And, I, and I, for the listeners, I like that it wasn't just, you know, but Brad didn't say, okay, just get the book and, and get everyone in a conference room and just start going through it. Like it's got to be built with some intention and some thought. So I, I like that answer to taking some time before we launched the initiative. Did you, I guess you can share in that example or other companies you've worked with, did they have certain metrics that maybe needed attention? Were there certain areas either in net promoter score or revenue? Or was there something that kind of prompted, let's start here? Or did they take a bigger shotgun approach and say, let's, let's do a little bit of everything? So, you know, it's really interesting. I think it depends on the organization. In some organizations, they did have metrics they wanted to use. In other organizations, it, was, it wasn't it was actually a shotgun approach. It was, we know we're weak in certain areas for our culture and we need to strengthen them. So let's start oh, cool. there. Um, and then for others, it was, we want to make sure, you know, we have these five pillars or whatever the case may be that are important. But you know what? We don't, we actually don't revisit them. We we, maybe we, we talk about it once a year, right, um, at, at, a, at some conference or whatever the case may be. And so um, we need to make them real, right? And so what they'll do is they'll then take the five pillars and they'll pull out what makes the most sense and relates the most to those pillars, and they'll start there. You know, and I think that's a great strategy as well. So I, I would say if you've got an area that you know you've got to strengthen, that might be a great place to start. If you've got some metrics that you know are down that you want to raise, then you might look at these activities and conversations in that vein. But if you're, if it's not, if you don't have anything that's a problem right now, but you just have the sense of, we really need to reinforce this and get stronger and better at it. And if we did, we think it would have a really strong impact on our business. Then I would say, what are your values? What are your pillars? What do you stand for? And look at the activities that relate to those the most and use them as a way of planning going forward. I, that was worth everyone's time and logging into today's program because I, we do some work with the Disney Institute, which has an incredibly strong culture and how they onboard and how they hire and manage. I look back on our own business and go, yeah, there's times when it's really intense. When we when we onboard, there's a lot of talk about core values and mission and there's a lot of 
supervisor engagement with, and then we kind of turn them loose. <laughs> we assume all of that sticks, but it doesn't stick, right? It's got to be even if to Brad's point, I love that. Even if you're knocking it out of the park and you're having your best year ever in terms of results, it's probably time to go back and revisit the core values and the culture because the minute you don't, man, it, it can it can tank pretty fast. Absolutely, hundred percent. You know, I I think when people get comfortable is when they should worry the most. That's a brilliant, brilliant piece of advice. And it's just counterintuitive to how humans behave, right? <laughs> Things are going well. It's like, oh, I'll take an extra week of vacation. I'll let the associates run the show. And you come back and, you know, you've hired someone that is not a cultural fit. Mm -hmm. You haven't touched base with why. I love that question. You know, why do you work here, you know, versus anywhere? Um, I'm looking at this table of contents and it's screaming to me that this is more important now than ever, particularly with Gen Z. Uh, we used to complain as the old curmudges in the group about millennials or how they were different. <laughs> and now Gen Z, totally different from millennials. They need all of this, right? I mean, they're not just in it for a paycheck at all. I don't, no. I don't feel like the, I feel like the paycheck's the least important as long as they're being paid well. seems like the least important thing to Gen Z. Can you talk about why the contents of this book is so important for the, for the newest generation of hires in our organization. I think it's important uh, for a variety of reasons. One is I think people who are working now who are, who are new to the workplace, um, they want purpose in their work. They want meaning in their work. Uh, they want work-life balance. Uh, they want to feel like they're making a difference. And, you know, the reality is if it's all about tasks, they're going to walk away and go somewhere else. I really actually want to reframe the way we think about younger folks, because I think many cases we, we, we look, he said old curmudgeon. I thought that was great. We, we look at, at younger folks and we see them through stereotypical lenses. You know, the, the reason why they lack loyalty is because they've seen employers lack loyalty to their parents, their uncles, their aunts, their friends. The reason they lack loyalty is because they know that they graduate today and they have to work for 50 to 60 years. That's a marathon to maintain personal income before they can retire. And they watched people at 48 years old get laid off after being told they're so great for so many years. And then when they go to look for a job, they're told you're you're stale. I can hire somebody younger with better skills and uh, and cheaper. And so you now have relatives that are working jobs that they're overqualified for, they're getting paid less than they used to, and they're worried about whether they're gonna retire. The people who are leaving now are saying, I'm not trading my life for that outcome. And, uh, and by the way, I'm also not going to work somewhere where I don't feel sharper, faster, better, stronger, more marketable today than I did yesterday. Because if I, if I don't become faster, better, stronger, and more marketable today than I did yesterday, then I will be that person. So I want work with meaning. I want a life that allows me to enjoy it while I've got it. And I want work that makes me more prepared for tomorrow's workplace than today's so that I never have to worry about sitting on the curb wondering where the heck is my next paycheck coming from. Yeah, it's great. I, I think our Gen Z, I love every generation of employee that works in our organization and they all have particular ways they see their role. But Gen Z, I mean, if you do the things in Brad's book, if you, if you really lead into these, I mean, this is, I think this is like you mentioned the recipe book for success with employees who want more than a paycheck. I, I think it does one more thing too. I think you're right. hundred percent. It also, It'll help you change your glasses. It'll help you see them from a different view, a different lens. And your ability to relate to and understand the different types of folks that work for you will expand in such positive ways. So it will help them, but I think it helps you a great deal too. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And in this, again, at the time of this recording, it's so hard. I mean, if you want a job, you've got it in, in today's market. And this, I think... My guess is when you do these things and people start talking about and sharing word of mouth with friends and family in the community and, and how you hire, you're going to attract better people. 
but you are, and they're going to want to stay. You know, it's funny. People say um, millennials and, and Gen Z's don't have uh, loyalty. I, I, I happen to overhear a conversation. I wasn't necessarily supposed to be privy to it, but I, I happened to hear it. And it was with a, a, an employee of mine who is from the younger generation. And uh, she was telling someone that she was going to move. Uh, and she was going to move and she was going to try and see if I would let her, you know, remote work. To which I, I would have. She's fantastic. Uh, but she realized that she didn't want to. Now, this is funny because this is so anti. If you build a great culture, this is what happens. She told the person I was going to move, but I'm not going to move because I would miss seeing and talking with and working with this team. Wow. And so I, I want to stay here instead of moving. Then, then she went further. She said um, she can't see a day she would leave. Until I did. Wow. And and that was because we have these conversations. We relate to each other in these ways. Um, we care about one another. We see each other in those lights. And we all are here to support each other and help each other be successful. This this team that, that I have is it's fantastic. But it's not by accident. It's because we've employed a lot of the same things that are in this book. Um, and and it, it pays dividends. That is a 24 year old who is saying, I want to go to the office because I want to be with these people. And I not only want to go to the office because I want to be with these people. I want to stick around and stay for as long as I can because of these people and because of the leader that runs it. That you, you can't, I can't tell you the impact that had on me. I was so touched by those comments. I, I, I you know, I just, it made not only my day, it made my week and guaranteed it made sure that I, I continue down this path. Oh, and it drives to the core of who we are in human nature, right? I mean, all things being equal, if you're a talented individual, like this individual is, cause you said she's great, right? One of our best employees, all things being equal, aren't you going to go work for a place that gets these things right? Yeah. That, that are listed in the book. Aren't you going to go work for a place that leads with intentionality and is communicating their purpose and developing the talent in the organization and generating inclusion and building team harmony and problem solving and prioritizing safety? All the things that create a great experience, not just for the customer, but for the employee. All things being equal, are you really going to go somewhere that offers you a dollar more an hour or lets you remote work? No, you're going to, you're going to go to the office. Like, it was, oh, I love that story. That's so cool. Yeah. I just did a turnover study for a client and, uh, they wanted to pay people more to make them stay. And I said, that's not the problem. The problem is uh, fairness and equity in the way you pay. And uh, the second problem is work-life balance. They want lives. And um, and we had to have this conversation about paying them more will not fix it. In fact, you, I had to give them examples of people who had left because they took a pay cut because they felt like they were being treated more fairly, better, and they were able to have a personal life as well as a work life. Oh, we see it all the time. Yeah. Extremely talented friends, clients will leave a high paying job that has gotten all these things wrong and will go work for a nonprofit or go work for a smaller firm that gets them right. Absolutely. Yeah. Brad, this book, we could talk all day. I know I've got a limited amount of time to pick your brain. I'm so honored you came on the program. I do want to give listeners a chance to learn more about you. We're going to include links to the book. If you're in the program as a paid subscriber, you'll get a physical copy of Brad's book and my show notes and kind of study guide to help you and your team get through the book. Uh, but I want to make sure listeners can find you. Where can they go to learn more about you and what you're working on and what's next? Wow. So they can come to our website which is performancepointllc.com and find us there. Find me there. They can also find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. But uh, I mean, from a business standpoint, obviously most of that happens on LinkedIn. I not only have a personal page, but performance point has a uh, company page and you can engage with, with us there. Look at, we'll welcome comments, questions, reach out to us. We want to hear from you to me. Uh, you know, social media has the word social in it for a purpose. So we want to engage with you. I mean, you can follow me if you want to. You can connect with me if you want to. But I would really love it if you would engage with me uh, because that's what makes it really wonderful. And I'll also I'm going to ask for a favor from anybody that gets the book. 
please, please go on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you can, and write a review. The more reviews we get, the better. Tell people what you think of it, especially if you think it was great. Um, you used the words brilliant so uh, earlier in the podcast, so please, I, I would love to see that on Barnes <laughs> & Noble and Amazon. How's that? It's awesome. It is. Uh, Brad Fetterman, author of Cultivating Culture, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, just a wonderful experience. Thanks. You've been listening to another episode of The Burleson Box, where we bring you and your team leaders into the conversation with today's best authors and business leaders. If you enjoyed today's program, be sure to share us with a friend or colleague. You can visit theburlesonbox.com and sign up to receive my monthly reading list, study guides for each of the books and authors we interview, or you can call us at 1-800-891-7520 and discuss how a Burleson Box membership, monthly coaching, or annual leadership conference can work for you and your team. Be sure to listen each month for new resources. We can help you and your employees serve your patients with excellence. Until next time, remember the words of Charlie Munger who said, In my whole life, I have known no wise people over a broad subject matter who didn't read all the time. None. Zero. Go make it a great month and I'll see you right here next time on the Burleson Box. the last time you evaluated your credit card processing statement. Our partners at Stacks are offering a free savings analysis for our listeners, where they will actually take your merchant statement with your current processor and show you where you're overpaying. Stacks has saved orthodontics practices over 40% per month on payment processing costs. So don't wait. Get your free savings analysis today and see how much you're overpaying for your credit card processing. Go to StacksPayments.com forward slash Burleson dash seminars to schedule your savings analysis today. Plus, as a special offer for our podcast listeners, if you sign up today, you can get your first two months of payments processing costs waived from Stacks. Once again, that's StacksPayments.com forward slash Burleson dash seminars. Stop overpaying. Start saving.